3: Court. Ten seconds remaining.
4: They just got to throw it under the basket. Under the basket. It's the truth for the win.
0: Gone. Oh, did it. A miracle. Did it. Double order. Hit that one from the parking lot.
3: Shock and awe. And college basketball. It's not the size of the dog in the fight, it's the size of the fight in the dog.
2: What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast. This is the Sweet 16 betting preview part one. I'm Stucky, and joining me to preview Thursday's card are the gentlemen from the three man weave Matt Cox, Kyle McEwen, and Jim Root. Gentlemen, have you uh, fully recovered from your Vegas weekend for the first two rounds?
4: I'd, I'd say I'm close. I wouldn't say my voice is at 100%, but. You know, it's it's kind of more of the, the dulcet tones. It's a little bit raspy. It's, it's it's good. Maybe it makes for a better radio voice,
1: to be quite honest. Matt, you at least just got back to Chicago. Yeah, I mean, I think I need some more uh tenor in my voice. So I'm actually glad that the raspiness is is sort of permeating into this week. Um Kai, how are you feeling? Big dog. I'm fully back bodily, but my voice is also
3: struggling, Stucky. Um hopefully we can get through the whole podcast with you though.
2: Well, four games, so we shouldn't be That long, but we're going to go into all four and we'll go in chronological order. Without further ado, let's just jump right into it. The first game on Thursday on CBS 709 Eastern, Arkansas, the four seed against Gonzaga, the one seed chalk held here, Gonzaga eight and a half, nine, starting to creep up nine and a half point favorite over under sitting at a pretty high 155. The interesting thing coming into this is that I think, you know, Arkansas barely escaped two double-digit seeds didn't look that convincing doing so and you might say look Gonzaga wasn't the strongest performance for one but in my opinion Gonzaga got shafted like they played a 14 as a 16 seed and then obviously used like a late 21 nothing run thankfully Georgia State held up for the cover and then they played a Memphis team that you could argue is a top 10 team in the country right now and playing like it with top 10 talent so really like they they, weren't, they didn't have a true path of a, of a number one seed. So Gonzaga's here, nine, nine-and-a-half point favorite. I think that in order for Arkansas to have a shot here, because there's, there's a couple things I just don't like from a matchup perspective. They need the good J.D. Note. They need him to go for like 28 or 30, and he's been silent of late. You probably need a Mude to hit a bunch of threes because, look, but it's not a great three-point shooting team, and you're not going to get much of the rim against Gonzaga. And if Arkansas is taking wild shots – they they're not getting at a line. Gonzaga doesn't really foul. It's, you know, Gonzaga is going to get theirs in transition. Like it's hard for me to see Arkansas stealing this one. I mean, Jalen Williams taking a couple charges on like Chet or Timmy, he's the charge <laughs> master. Maybe that can swing the game, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the line there might be value in Arkansas on the spread. Jim, I'll start with you. What do you see here? Yeah, this
4: is a difficult matchup for Arkansas. I think, we, we saw Gonzaga struggle with the front court size and depth that Memphis could throw at them with Williams and Dandridge and Duren. Uh, I don't really see Arkansas with that. Uh, Jalen Williams is a solid big, as you mentioned, the charge master. Uh, he's only in the 44th percentile as a post-defender per synergy. And we saw Drew Timmy wake up and be kind of like the ultimate version of Timmy last year. That was like toying with Evan Mobley, that kind of guy. It, down the stretch against Memphis, he, he was in his turbo mode. Uh, I think he has a monster game here, potentially getting Williams in foul trouble. And then you go to, you know, Trey Wade and uh, Kamani Johnson. Like, I think those guys are going to get absolutely destroyed by Gonzaga's front line. Uh, but on the other hand, I'm not very high on the Zags perimeter defenders. Uh, they're not very stout. They don't have those big three and D kind of wings that can keep guys in front, play physical with, with guards and wings. So I think Note can get in the lane. I think Devo Davis can get in the lane. Likes, even if he plays, can you know, get into that mid-range jumper where he's actually pretty deadly. Uh, so I think there's a decent amount of points in this one. Neither team really wants to slow it down. Leaning towards the over, ever so slightly lean to Arkansas on the side, just because uh, I feel like maybe it could be a single-digit game. But Matt, it's not, it's not super strong uh, on the side. It's more of a, an, an overtake for me here.
2: Yeah, I might. Yeah, you could also look. You could also look live, Jim. I mean, Arkansas lines comes out slow. They're pretty shaky. Yeah, you know, true. Zach is going to have their runs. Uh, but
1: Matt, go ahead. No, oh, yeah, I think there's actually a few live betting opportunities in these matchups, uh, both Thursday and Friday. You mentioned the note a factor. Um, five of thirty from three. His last five games, fifteen turnovers. Um, I know he had eight steals in that last game against Mexico State, which, by the way, was the first Arkansas game that's gone under. I believe in the last ten or something. So there was a massive over streak. Um, I think coinciding with just how well that offense was ho humming, but slowly overlapping with that recent demise has been Note's erraticness, which I think is more of the true Note. And I think this is all about him because, as Jim mentioned, Gonzaga's premier defenders are vulnerable, and Note is the guy that can really take advantage if he's on. He just hasn't been. And I think people have game planned and devised against him. And just in general, like, did we ever really buy Note as like an all American candidate? Like the two months in which he was playing like that? I never did, the high arcing knuckleball. So I worry that this Arkansas team is starting to kind of trend back toward the more mortal version we saw uh, in the first half of the year, not the invincible version we saw the second half, but I think the truth is somewhere in the middle.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with you on Note, but his ceiling, like his ceiling is like All-American when he plays at his absolute best, but the yeah. variance is extremely high. And you mentioned his steals, obviously very aggressive defender, can get a lot of steals, but that also can lead him into foul trouble. Another angle to watch here with fouls. Is Muscleman, it's kind of like Calipari, kind of like who uh guard and uh would sit like a lot of these some of these coaches that are so conservative when someone gets two fouls. I mean, I've seen Note who gets in foul trouble quite a bit, he gets like his second foul 17 minutes and a half and he's sitting the rest of the half. Like, you can't do that here, I don't think, but we'll see. Uh, anything to add.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I am, of course, worried about no getting in the lane, but I'm not too worried about him scoring down there. I'm not worried about any of the guards scoring. This is the number one two-point field goal percentage defense in the country, Gonzaga. They don't mind if, if guards get in the lane. Um, they stop it all day with Timmy and Holmgren. And you mentioned Stucky. Arkansas struggled with the 13-12. and See, so they're 0-2 against the spread in this tournament. I don't think they have enough juice to handle Gonzaga. I don't think they can stop them. Uh, Gonzaga, seven turnovers against Georgia State and seven against Memphis. That's incredible. I, I don't think they're going to be bothered by Arkansas's half-court pressure. I really like Gonzaga here.
2: Yeah, that, that's a really, a really excellent point is that Memphis can obviously turn you over. And I, I thought to myself going into that game that Memphis might be able to pressure Gonzaga's guards into some turnovers. That because I mean, you look at Gonzaga's turnovers numbers, they're excellent, but they don't really face a ton of teams throughout the course of the season. They're going to pressure them. So it was kind of like conjecture on my part. But they play Georgia State and Memphis – two teams that can pressure they didn't turn it over at all so i mean that and that's one of the routes that arkansas has to get offense is like turning teams over getting to the line uh, all these things that gonzaga just doesn't do um so you don't think there's any pressure concern here from arkansas and and note company jim do you i i
4: don't I, i also just kind of like a weird intrinsic thing with with gonzaga and this could be totally my perception and not anything based in reality but I think there's going to be some uplift to surviving a game like the Memphis one. They're down 10 at halftime. I think they felt their backs against the wall. Timmy especially seemed like I'm not doing this again. We came up short last year uh, and he he took control himself. Credit to him. So I I think surviving a really difficult matchup like that against a talented team, like you said, that's probably underseated based on how they've been playing. I almost think that could be kind of like a release for them. And now they come out with just an absolute home run performance against a team that's gonna let them run. And you can't let Gonzaga run. That's that's bad news.
2: Yeah. Uh letting Gonzaga get in the transition usually is going to end in disaster. Uh by the way, unfortunate to see Memphis leave the tournament having to play against the number one overall seed there, because they were playing such good basketball. Um, and they really could have made a deep run and uh Thanks for giving us a good game, too, because there was not many thrilling games late, and that was one of the better games of the first round. All right, let's move on to the second game. That'll tip, I think, about 20 minutes after Arkansas-Kontzaga, and that's Michigan-Villanova, Michigan the 11th seed. I think they've advanced to about five or six straight Sweet 16s, taking on the two-seed Villanova. Villanova is a five-point favor here. Over-under has ticked down about a point point after 135. Odd tidbit. I don't mean to know if this is true, but I think I saw Michigan and Villanova women's playing, which is, was it 11-2 or 11-3 the, uh, yesterday? I think I saw that. Maybe I'm wrong. Okay, um, right, Our Lady Cats. Jim, I'll kick it to you first. Really fascinating matchup. You have the, obviously, the excellence of the Villanova, I guess just their whole team, and their guards, Colin Gillespie leading the way. And then you got Hunter Dickinson inside. How much damage can he do? Kind of fascinating. You can break this down for many ways, but where are you looking here?
4: Yeah, looking at the over, I, I think that kind of Dickinson is the ultimate swing factor that I think sets up a, a pretty positive look for the over. He can get his inside, and I kind of think Jay Wright's largely okay with that. Uh, they'll dig when when you post up, but they're not a hard double team. They're usually, uh they're kind of thinking their offense can out-efficient a post score. Like, I, I don't think Jay Wright respects the post as like a every single time down option scoring over the top of Dixon scoring over the top of Samuels. So I, I think he's going to let Dickinson get his, but then on the other end, uh, Villanova is going to move him around, put Dickinson in ball screens, spread out the floor with Dixon. I mean, he had two huge threes against Ohio state. And I think that's just a, a statement of purpose that he can do that. If you're not going to guard him to the perimeter and Dickinson does not want to get out there. As I, I like the over a lot here. Uh, it's not really a, a tempo-based over, and I'm concerned that there might not be a ton of possessions. But I think efficiency is going to be really high because both teams have clear routes to scoring against the other defense here.
2: Yeah, obviously both teams uh, here, especially Villanova, don't want to play particularly fast. But, yeah, if the efficiency is there, could sneak over here. Something else to keep in mind, if you are laying the points with Villanova and it's close late and you think that Nova's just a tad – it better there's no better team you want in your back pocket to cover four to five points if you're going to lay it than Villanova who never misses free throws almost always but especially in the last two minutes of a game um they have guards that are like 90 percent and they're just gonna if they're up three they're gonna go make two go up five team is three they're gonna go up seven so three all of a sudden it's nine so you have that working for you if you are thinking about backing Villanova Kyle go to you any
3: thoughts here Yeah. I'm kind of nervous about fading Michigan here because you mentioned they have been to a lot of sweet 16s lately. And I don't think Juwan Howard has ever not been to the elite eight as a player or a coach. Um, So he has presence of getting to the next round. It feels a bit short. If I'm looking at it from a pure, okay, Villanova Michigan perspective and not the randomness of the tournament Uh, Michigan's defense, not great. We saw Nova slice up Ohio state pretty easily. 1.2 points per possession in that game and Villanova's wings their size, or switchability, that could be a big issue for Brooks, Collins, Jones, all around six foot six one. It does feel a bit low here, but I'm leaning towards Michigan uh, and, and that plus five with Juwan Howard on the sidelines.
2: Matt, I'll throw it to you for your thoughts. And then also let me know if, have you changed any of your, and I'll get the other thoughts of the other guys too on this. Have you changed any of your thoughts on this conferences as a whole after the first weekend? Like we saw the ACE, it's like all of a sudden, okay, maybe the ACC, um, wasn't as bad as we thought. Now, again, we're talking in small sample sizes, so you have to just take a, a leap of faith sometimes in these. You know, the Big 12 showed itself pretty well. Then you had the Big 10 struggle. The SEC top teams had some struggles. So did, does that weigh into anything that you're looking at this week?
1: No, I, I like to shun the conference narratives, and maybe that's short-sighted given now we've seen two straight years of Big 10 underachievement. I think your point, Tucky, about the Big 12 um, being a good – Bet on conference because of the similarities of the defenses they see within that league. Just the gauntlet of defensive squads that you have to go through. You get out of that, and I think you see offenses open up, almost like a brush of a breath of fresh air. Uh, that's the one I really buy into is the Big Twelve thing. Um, but I guess for this game, obviously not relevant. Jim mentioned the over. I also like the over too. The more I've looked at it, though, I, I'm starting to cons- I'm concerned that I didn't really look at the how much Nova's really slow the pace down the last four or five games. Like, they always play methodical, obviously, but just, like, they have no interest in even attacking um, a, a moderate to minor advantage in transition. Uh, last, I think, set, or six or seven games, only one's gone over 66 possessions. Uh, they're four and one of the under in their last five. Yeah, on the other side of the coin, Michigan, they're playing Frankie Collins a lot more. You know, Devontae Jones had that concussion. He comes back, he starts. He only played 12 minutes last game, though. Collins got the bulk of those minutes. I think he's he regarded got, as the better. He got concussed again, Matt. He and concussed got, again, that's right. Yep. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think Collins has really, I think, proven he's worthy of that spot. His his defense and while his offense is still kind of a work in progress, you can see the upside there. Um, so I think those are some concerns, I guess, if looking to back the over. I mean, all of these uh, totals um for Thursday have really stayed pretty stagnant. So I think the you know, both sides of the market are saying up yeah, the over is pretty sharp. 135, 135 and a half in a few shops. Uh again, no, I think the Trump card is that this does play to a pretty highly efficient game. And I I do still lean the over.
2: Yeah, I would be concerned uh, about a couple of things here with Michigan's defense. I've mentioned this with Nova. I thought a potential matchup with Tennessee, we could see this, and I have the same concerns. The Nova guards backing them down in the post with the inverted offense. And then Villanova, both these teams run a lot of pick and roll. Villanova runs at a top 15 rate in the country, obviously elite at executing in that sense. They're in the 97th percentile per synergy. Michigan's perimeter defense has struggled in that aspect, and they are just in the 7th percentile nationally against ball handlers and pick and roll. And on the flip side, Villanova is a lot better defending pick and roll action. So those two things concern me a bit. So I would have a slight lead to Villanova. Um, I'd like to get maybe a a little better number live. But again, like if they're up three to four, it's so easy for them to extend at the line. Um, Having said that, that means like Gillespie's going to miss two free throws to cover. (laughs) Paul doesn't advance anyone back in Nova. And by the way, going back to what you mentioned about the Big 12 narrative, it's going to lead into our next game. Something that really strengthened my thoughts on it, but I'm probably going to go against it because I like Miami just on the matchup. Iowa State, who's in the Sweet 16, I didn't think I'd, you know, I mean, granted, they played Wisconsin at their Hepburn got hurt. They played an LSU team that was just a mess. But Iowa State, like, remember they're at, but remember before conference play, like they couldn't lose. They were beating everybody. And then, you know, then they obviously hit a wall yeah. in the Big 12. But if you just isolate their non-conference results, it's uh, night and day. Uh, But let's get into the next game, the first of the late games. And we're going to talk Big 12 team, uh, a three-seed Texas Tech. Chalk out here got taking on Duke, the two-seed. Both teams survived late, survived scares. Duke against Michigan State. Texas Tech against Notre Dame. Texas Tech, one-point favorite here, over under 137. Uh, I'm going to throw this to Kai to start us off and get the discussion going, what are you seeing here with uh, Duke-Texas Tech? Really fascinating matchup.
3: I'm seeing Texas Tech with the number one defense in the country. And, and I've watched this team play several times in the tournament. They're just so intimidating. And Duke, we've heard the narratives before about Coach K's, let's say, offensive game planning ability, but it's mostly Duke can just go out and out-talent and out-athlete teams when they're on the floor. I don't think you can do that against Texas Tech. They're too disciplined. They're way too good defending in in the paint. Um, So I think Duke really struggles here on the offensive end. I think Mark Adams is a better coach than Coach K. I kind of trust him more in this matchup. Uh, Texas Tech has its own issues offensively, um, but I am going with the superior defensive team, the the superior coach team here in taking Texas Tech. Matt, would you agree?
1: Yeah, I've watched Duke plenty this year. I I know what their issues are. They they drive the ball relentlessly into gaps, and if you can't defend that, you, you have a tough time stopping them. Um, the Texas Tech is the best gap protecting defense in the country, bar none. That's what that's what Mr. Adams does. That's his whole DNA. That's how that's how he's designed that defense. Now, Duke can make shots over the top. We've seen them do that at times too. That's just a less reliable, um, a less stable path to points. And just given the sheer apathy in which coach K is game planned against these types of matchups this season. I think he's just relied on the talent to, to overcome, does not give me the warm and fuzzies against a Texas tech team. That looks awesome right now. And I know they came back down to earth a little bit offensively against Notre Dame. Um, but Duke's defense can be shredded in pick and roll action. I think the Notre Dame's a more uh, cohesive defensive structure that forced Texas tech to get tougher shots. I think Duke, while though they have the propensity to be a great defensive team when they're locked in and engaged, they also have some structural flaws, that again, I expect Mark Adams with four or five days to prep to exploit. So um, I think the price is a little bit shaded too much in Tech's direction. I think uh, Duke should be favored by a point, but the matchup angles are too strong. I'm, I'm leaning Tech here pretty hard.
2: Yeah, I, there's there's a part of me that says that maybe the key to this game, and this is I was breaking down the summers. I didn't expect to have this take at all. But is it is it Texas Tech's transition offense? And I was looking Texas Tech's transition offense is let me see what their, their, I, extra, let's see, hold on. I got to look up 97th percentile in efficiency and their half court offense obviously isn't anywhere close to that. Can they get out and transition against the Duke defense? That's in the 31st percentile. They struggle defending in transition because I don't know if Texas tech's offense is going to have much success in the half court. Like you can't really score at the rim against Duke. They, you know, they don't foul. And, and I don't think Texas tech's offense can exploit some of the issues that we've seen with Duke's defense down the stretch. So this, and Duke obviously is great in transition offensively where their athlete shot, but Texas tech's great transition defense. They also are good on the offensive glass. So I don't know how many opportunities Duke's going to have. So does it come down to just, okay, is Duke making their outside shots and they have the outside shooters. And that's how you have to beat this Texas tech defense, right? They give up the 15th most three attempts in the country. You have to just beat this no middle-ish defense from over the top. But if you're not making those shots, are there long rebounds? And is that where Texas tech actually finds some offense, but you know, part of me thinks that Duke has the just—they have the individual talent to make enough plays. And again, that I think is going to be ugly. Uh, I love the under here; it's probably my favorite bet tomorrow. I just yeah. don't think the Texas Techs offense, which can't really shoot, don't see them getting a lot at the rim. And I think Duke's athletes can defend them here individually. Uh, so, you know, maybe if Texas Tech's getting out and and running a little bit, that would not be great for the under. Maybe that's their best path to offense. But I think this is going to be a close one. And maybe it's like there was a gate uh, – these two teams played each other two years ago and on a neutral, Duke won 69-58. Tech, I, did, I think, didn't score – didn't hit a shot in the last eight minutes. Ended 69-58. They scored at like both at like .8 points per possession. I wouldn't be shocked if we see something similar here. Jim, curious to get your thoughts.
4: Yeah, that's that's kind of the way I'm leaning too uh, with, with, with the under. But I'm with Kai. I like Texas Tech. Uh, there's two big numbers that I think are huge for this matchup. Uh, Texas Tech has played 24 unique opponents this year. Uh, obviously, a couple of teams twice in Big 12 play. But of those 24, 17 have their lowest points in the paint total against oh. Texas Tech. I mean, it's just, that's what they do. Like Matt said, they keep you out of gaps. Uh, they, they will double the post if they have somebody they think uh, can really score in there. They keep you outside, force you to shoot over the top. They're big positionally. Every guy is strong up and down the lineup. Um, so it's a tough team to drive on. And then the other number uh, we talked about Duke's defensive struggles. I don't know if it's as documented how pathetic it's been for them recently. Since March 1st, Duke's played seven games. You filter Bartorvic for since March 1st. Their defense is 191st in the country. Like they haven't stopped. Anybody, including Syracuse without Buddy I like Fullerton's the only team they held below one point per possession, and it was not that far below. Uh, I think Texas Tech will find some route to points here, mostly just because Duke has lapses mentally. They they just lose focus sometimes, and I I think they can beat them with cuts and and some precision-type offense. But, yeah, I I like Texas Tech. I I, I agree with the under, uh, but I'll be be on Texas Tech minus one. Uh, I, I just don't think this Duke team has it right now.
2: Man, you watch Duke a lot, maybe as much as anyone. Is that all it is on defense? Is it it a scheme issue? Is it just we're young and we're missing assignments off ball and the communication is just off? Does it come down to coaching? Is it fixable to make a a run at a national title here or is that just going to be their downfall, as we've been saying for the past month?
1: Yeah, I think the stats that Jim brings up are relevant in that um, there are real structural issues. Like just they, they can't really defend pick and roll it. Sometimes they get lost um, on the help side, like when the ball gets reversed, like the, the guy rolling is usually left and it leaves. You know, the teams can pull guys like Mark Williams away from the basket if they run smart, um, you know, effective action on the perimeter. I think the key thing that, that Jim's also brought up, though, in the past is Duke games are about Duke. So I think they have the ability to flip on the switch. Um, and that, you know, you turn up the, you know, the pressure cooker to a, we're all in on this game type of effort. Um, not that they were not last game against uh, Michigan state, but I, I do think that can negate some of their structural flaws, some of the mental lapses that we see. Um, but also Jeremy Roach too. I mean, I think he's been a key impetus on both ends of the floor. Um, and he's going to obviously play big minutes in this game. His usage has spiked pretty substantially the last, um, you know, five, six games. I think he's, he's a ball hawk. He's a, he's a disruptor on the defensive end as well. Um, so I guess if you're looking to back Duke, you're probably looking at the ascension of Jeremy Roach as a big reason why.
2: Well, since I know you love your Zags, Zaga, say, we'll assume Zaga wins. It's going to be a rematch. No matter what, say you have a, someone has a Gonzaga future out there, or you just want, you want your Zags to win it all? Who would you rather face that? Uh, and by the way, Duke, uh, Gonzaga lost to Duke on a neutral 84, 81 earlier this year. And they beat Texas tech on a neutral 69, 55. Terrence Shannon didn't play. It's worth doting for Texas tech there. Um, So who, if you're rooting for Gonzaga, you have a Gonzaga future, who would you rather see for that one? If you're Gonzaga,
4: I think I'd rather see Texas tech um, mostly because of the final point Matt made where, where Duke has that level that they can get to. uh, And they showed it against Gonzaga the first time. I think they took advantage of the Gonzaga perimeter defenders like keels and more, we're just bullying the Gonzaga wings, the smaller guards like Razier Bolton got targeted relentlessly in that game. They got to the rim quite a bit. I think Chet Holmgren's a different player than he was in that game. But Williams handled Timmy on the block uh, and those other uh, those, those guards got into the paint. So despite that Gonzaga is one of those 17 teams that it's season low in, in point, paint points against Texas Tech, uh, they could not score against Gonzaga's defense, that number one, two-point percentage defense. So I think you'd rather see Texas Tech just because their ceiling is not as high as what Duke can throw at you.
2: All right, let's move on to the fourth and final Sweet 16 game on Thursday. And, I, I mean, man, what it's a hell of a night. I mean, you don't get a ton of upsets in the first two rounds, which means, like, Thursday you get blockbuster matchups. Like, you get a lot of the chalk, and your double-digit seed on Thursday is Michigan. So – uh, every matchup here is mouthwatering. I just can't wait for this one. This is the one I'm looking forward to the most. Houston, a five seed, by the way, a five seed in the market, which is a, a one-and-a-half-point uh, underdog on a neutral, to the one seed, Arizona, although this is it's pretty close. It's in, the game will be played in Texas, but Arizona will have a lot of fans there, and hopefully we get the the back-and-forth banter that we did with uh, Arizona and the TCU fans, and, man, that was just a great atmosphere. But is a one-and-a-half-point favorite here, over under – 145 and a half. Matt, I'll kick it to you to kick things off here. What are you seeing?
1: I think Gonzaga and Arizona both. Um, obviously, they're, they play very similar stylistically given the, the two coaches there. I Just the spot in which they're both in, I think people will overreact or maybe overreacting to what they saw last round, where the case of Gonzaga, they just got faced off with a team that people don't realize was arguably a top-10 team with how well they've been playing in Memphis. And then TCU's been playing like a top 20 team in the past few weeks, just a juggernaut of a, of a, a light bulb flick that, that turned on with Jamie Dixon there. And I think they, that was a good litmus test for them, a good pre-test to this physical Houston team. Um, you can argue they struggle in that matchup and that's maybe a bad omen for what's to come here. I look at this more from a, I'm wanting to back Arizona in a sort of a buy low spot, if that's possible at Arizona. Um, and that TCU game is sort of a good tune-up for for what I think is a uh, a good spot to back the cats here. Although I am worried, you look at some of the personnel issues. Man, it was basically a two man team that beat TCU, so they're going to need other guys to step up. Way too inconsistent, um, or way too much inconsistency from the supporting cast. Still, I think minus one and a half is too cheap. I'm taking Arizona.
2: Yeah, you could look at that from each side. You could say, okay, it's a good tune up, or you can say, look, Arizona, they want to run, right? And then they're a little vulnerable in the offensive glass, and then you have like. Coming into the tournament, it was TCU and Houston were tied, number one in the country in offensive rebounding rate. So, you know, you can argue that Houston does it a little bit better. I mean, they've done it for years. But those were the two best offensive rebounding teams in the country, two teams that just have men that relentlessly attack the glass off misses. You saw TCU get 20 offensive rebounds. And without a late three, you know, TCU wins that game. Uh, So now Houston is a little better than TCU Um, the next game. Do you say, okay – we, we got the tune-up. Let's make some adjustments here, which I think they might. I think they might go a little bigger here, which I think lends itself to an under. I like the under here as well. I think that Houston's going to grind this down to a halt. Arizona wants to run, but I think that they have to know that they can't just get dominated on the offensive glass again. So I think that they have to go bigger. I don't, Tubellas didn't play because he, he was I, – I, he was Mike Miles was, like, swatting his shots. They Apparently he did, they just didn't think he was physical enough. But I think Arizona has to make it a point to – get on the defensive glass. They're going to have to go bigger, which obviously is going to hurt their transition. It'll also hurt Houston's opportunities at second chance looks and then make it more of a half-court game. So that's the way that I, I think it plays out. It's scary betting an Arizona under. Um, I, yeah, I mean, my two recommendations are an Arizona under and a Duke under. Uh, so I apologize if those mm-hmm. go completely sideways. But that's the way I'm looking at it. But I, I like that point. It's a, it's a, it's a great test before Houston to play TCU. Can Arizona make the necessary adjustments? And then Kirk Crease, what's he going to look like? Because he was horrendous. Um, Kyle, I'll throw it to you. What are your thoughts here?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure Arizona solves its boxing out issues in, in four days. That, that seems to be intuitively who they are. I, I, I know they're well-coached in Tommy Lloyd, but I don't think that's something you get better at over, over a one-game sample. Um, Houston is, for my money, the best coach team in the entire country. I think Sampson is right up there number one coach. I mean, look at their number two in Kim Palm with two of the best players out for the entire year. This team's awesome. They're going to defend the, the interior like crazy. They're going to force Arizona to shoot bad jumpers. And we know the Arizona cards want to do that. You mentioned crease that he was like one for 10. Daylon Terry took terrible shots. Um, I think Arizona does that quite a bit against Houston. They're not going to give an inch inside. You saw how, how much they hounded Kofi Coburn when he touched the ball. I think it's gonna be the same story here. I think Houston's too disciplined too well-coached. I'm taking Houston.
2: Jim, you on the same page? I'm
4: I'm very torn. I think both these guys have stronger opinions one way or the other than I do. Uh, one thing that I think is beneficial for Arizona here, uh, Houston really tore apart Illinois in ball screens. They just put Kofi in ball screens. They went drop, and Jamal Shedd hit jumper Shedd, after jumper. But nuts. Yep. He was sensational at, like, the elbow jumper. Coloco is way more mobile. Uh, he can actually switch that screen if Arizona wants to. Obviously, that then leaves you with uh, a guard guarding a big man, and you're exposed in some of the the offensive rebounding situations. But uh, I am begging Tommy Lloyd to play more Ballo in this game. I, I thought that was going small against TCU. I thought was a major oversight. I, I didn't agree with it at all. I thought that was when the big run happened for TCU late. The on off numbers from that game speak very well to Ballo's impact. Yeah. Uh, the the one other surprising thing from the on off on off numbers. So, Arizona's way better with Creesa on the floor. He was like
2: 27. I, I don't know how that was possible. It didn't match <laughs> up with
4: the eye test at all, but uh, I think they just need a shooter, the threat of a shooter. I know he is one for 10, but when he's not out there, there's just nobody that the defense is going to respect. And he's got four more days to get healthier. Uh, I, I, the defensive issues, uh, he, he's got to figure that out. He's got to be a little more explosive, but I think he'll make a few more shots in this one. Uh, I, I just think he'll be a little healthier. So, I'm leaning to Arizona. Because of the, I don't want to overreact to what we saw this past weekend, but man, I'm I'm concerned about the offensive glass.
2: Yeah, he was getting beat every time down defensively, and then he was one of ten from three for three points and a plus twenty-seven. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, All, every no number sense. is being broken today. Any shot body winner loses. Providence is going to win the national title. Um, nothing makes sense anymore. Jim, any thoughts on? The total. Am I crazy for looking at a Arizona under thinking that this game is going to be played more in the half court than most Arizona games?
4: No, I, I'm with you. I, I think that, like you said, they got to play bigger. I, I'm, I'm begging for more Ballo. You get two seven foot, not plotters because Coloco can really move. And then Ballo is more mobile than uh, I'm probably giving him credit for. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that's what we see. Arizona is going to try to get going in transition, but Houston won't. Uh, so I, I think we'll probably come in a little bit below the tempo projection. Uh, and efficiency probably won't be ultra high as well. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm with you on the under.
2: Yeah, I mean Chris is a, a wild card because he's going to fight he's, if he's in there he's going to be firing up shots. So if he's if he goes 7 of 10 from 3, obviously it could swing the game in the total. Uh, by the way, so a couple people are asking why does he have Kerr on his on his jersey? That's because he it's a they, he it's an homage to uh an Steve Kerr who played for Arizona number 25. They actually unretired his number. He requested and then he wears it and then he puts his first name Kerr on his jersey and his first name Kerr is actually because his Estonian parents named him after Steve Kerr who played at Arizona now he's playing at Arizona wearing his jersey with his name on the back of his jersey so pretty crazy story all right let's uh I'm gonna go around the horn right now and see if what well, we're gonna get, I don't know if I if I told you guys this. just one if you had a big one bet for tomorrow what would it be but before we I'll give you a minute to think about it exercise right now you could just say I've not changed this is what I'm thinking Uh, Jim, I'll start with you. As of right now, looking at the bracket, just based on what we've seen so far, your priors, what you were thinking before, national champion and championship matchup heading into this weekend.
4: I will go with the two teams I had in the final uh, at at the pre-tournament, Gonzaga and Arizona. The the master meets the apprentice in the coaching realm. And I will go with Arizona, a narrow edge over gonzaga mainly because i didn't think we'd see creesa back as soon as we did and i know he was bad but just the fact that he was able to get out there is a lot closer to being healthy than i thought he would be at this point i think he'll get closer as we go uh,
3: i will go with arizona narrowly over gonzaga okay i'm sticking with my pre uh tournament bracket as well here i'm going with gonzaga over kansas in the national championship game it's high time mark few finally got it done by
2: the way, yeah, I, you guys are. Oh, I'm sticking with my pre-tournament. My my uh, finals matchup was gone in day one in Iowa, <laughs> so I don't oh, have man. that luxury of saying I'm sticking with mine. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go. Man, there's something that tells me we're gonna get a a, a Duke run. Um, but I'm gonna go Gonzaga, and I'm gonna go with you. Uh, I'm gonna go with Kansas. I mean, they got they have Providence who I think's gonna give them a game, but then you know they got winner of Iowa State, Miami, Arizona. It's looked a little more vulnerable than I thought. And that game up and down, Kansas can play with them in an up and down game. That's where they thrive. Um, I'm going to say Kansas makes it, Gonzaga wins it. Uh, Matt, close us out here. What do you got?
1: I think I'm sticking with Gonzaga-Arizona, my initial take with Gonzaga cutting down the nets. But I think you brought up the right point. Arizona has looked vulnerable. I think we need to maybe take a second look at what's going on with those front court rotations. Um, Just sort of the mini demise of Tubellis lately and and also Ballo. I'd argue the three best teams, the most, three most likely teams, teams most capable of winning it all are in the West right now with Gonzaga, Duke, and Texas Tech. If Duke or Texas Tech were on the opposite side, I'd probably take them over Arizona right now. But the bracket is set up the way it is. So I'm sticking with Gonzaga, Arizona, Gonzaga, cutting down the nets.
2: Kansas probably has the easiest path, um, which I'm, I'm factoring in as well. But um, all right, let's go one round of uh, best bets. You just have to make one bet for tomorrow. Lines are tight. Could be, you know, it could be a live look um could be a future wherever you want to go with it um jim i'll start with you
4: i think it's texas tech minus one for me uh, I, I just i know duke can get to the level that that we've discussed and they have that high ceiling but they haven't faced a top 40 defense since gonzaga in november uh, and i think that's really going to be a rude awakening for a young team that's used to kind of getting what they want just via talent i, I think they will be really frustrated by that texas tech defense so red raiders minus one for me
1: matt We'll going Arizona. I'll continue the theme of cautious best bets. Uh, we cited the concerns of the Arizona ad nauseum, but I think that price is too cheap. I think we're going to, we all are snoozing on Arizona after the TCU game. So Arizona minus one and a half.
2: Cautious best bets. If it wins, told you. That's right. We told you. <laughs> right. wins, we told you <laughs> to try lately. Cautious.
3: Cover, cover your bases. Kai? I'm with Jim. Texas Tech minus one. Uh, I, I think they get it done against Duke. Love the short spread.
2: Uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to throw two out there and. Just because why not torture yourself all Thursday with uh, two unders Duke, uh, Texas tech under, I think the Duke's defense, Duke's defense. I don't think their issues and I've been yelling about them are going to be completely exposed here by a Texas tech offense It'll just go through many droughts. And I don't think Duke's offense, but they have some talent. They're going to make some individual plays. They're going to have to make some threes, but they're going to run into some walls. I think there's going to be some big droughts in this game. Um, And I just don't see many paths to offense for both. I think this turns into a half court grinder. And then on the other, I'm going to go Houston, Arizona under as well. I think Houston will crawl this no matter what. I think Arizona is going to have to have more focus on the offensive glass. They're going to go bigger. They're not going to be as deadly in transition. Um, I think Kelvin Sampson will have a great game plan here. I think both of those are half court grinders sprinkle a little on the first half under sweet 16. You could have either one. I mean, these are, it's not a 15-point spread. These are going to be close games, most likely. You could get a lot of fouls late. So always like to protect us with a little bit. Sanity as well, first half under. But, yeah, two unders on Thursday night. Lots of fun. Um, all right, that'll do it for us. We will be back. Oh, I'll be back in a short while for part two with B.J. Cunningham, Colin Wilson, Mike Calabrese. We'll preview the four Friday night games. But thanks to the crew from Three Man Weave, Matt Cox, Kai McEwen, Jim Root, for joining me to preview Thursday's games. Make sure you follow them on Twitter. What's the, what's the, is, is there, what, the, I always forget everyone's underscores. Is there underscores in there?
4: 3MW underscore C V B is the, the main crew handle. Uh, that, that's the, the main one to worry about.
2: Make sure you give them a follow, check out all their great content. And as always, make sure you download the Orbiting Action Network app. Big bets on campus, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Good luck with your wagers. Enjoy the rest of the madness. And let's get some buzzer beaters. Catch y'all later. Cheers.